Canada's economic numbers are fairly rosy, but Canadians aren't feeling the bloom, according to pollsters. How will that impact our federal election? Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. Here at the Cafe, we aim to bring you guests and issues for discussion and debate. The Unpublished Cafe is part of the Unpublished Media suite of websites created to inform and educate Canadians on current affairs and political issues. Each podcast delves into a different issue in a nonpartisan way so listeners and viewers can share their informed opinions with Canadians and their local MPs through unpublishedottawa.com and unpublished.vote. The upcoming federal election will be a focus for us as we bring you a balanced view of the parties and their policies. Well, despite declining unemployment and GDP growth in Canada, two-thirds of Canadians feel the economic deck is stacked against them, according to Ipsos Public Affairs. Traditionally, in our election cycle, one of the key issues on the trail is the economy. While there's an air of uncertainty among a majority of Canadians when it comes to the economy, will this be the hill on which the election is fought? Climate change has jumped into the fray, along with health care. Will pocketbook issues move to the forefront? Here on the Unpublished Cafe, we're going to take a look at the economic platforms of each party and see if their pledges pass the smell test. As well, we'll hear from the Canadian Federation of Independent Business to gauge their response to the promises and hear what its members are looking for from the parties. First, I'm pleased to be joined by Ian Lee, MBA Director at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. And Ian, thank you for joining us on the Unpublished Cafe. My pleasure, Ed. Do you see jobs and the economy as the top issue of this upcoming election? Uh, Not top issue, but I I certainly understand the question, and I'm not denying. I think it's going to be the subtext. I mean, people are going into the election, uh, to the voting booth on Election Day, not feeling stressed out by the economy. So the fact that it's not the number one issue is not a bad news thing for the government, for any incumbent government. It's a good news um, a piece of information for any incumbent government, because it means that people aren't going in there to use that famous phrase, madder than hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. Uh, but yes, there's people unhappy. I've seen the polls, and they feel they're falling behind. But it's it's more of a, a grumbling than white heat uh, anger. And that you see in a recession when lots of people are losing their jobs and there's really anger, angry, bitter, twisted people. We don't have that right now. Yes, there's some grumbling. Yes, there's some unhappiness. But the uh, the government of the day, the, the liberal government, is very fortunate that they're not in a recession and that uh, and those econ- those numbers are very strong. You know, the unemployment numbers and so forth, because they can use them uh, to respond to any criticism of their record of the on the economy. You know, and let's just turn that the other way. So, if if you're the incumbent government with decent economic numbers that you're dealing with going into the election, how do you counter that being a conservative, an NDP, or a Green Party? Well, you can talk as he's doing about, for example, the uh, the indebtedness. Uh, you can talk about the you know, the decline in um, in um, exports, which is very clear. Uh, the decline in uh, foreign direct investment in Canada uh, because of the increasing restrictions put on, for example, the natural resource uh, sector, and we've seen uh, foreign direct investment in that sector just collapse. Any kind of investment, not just foreign investment, but foreign and domestic investment. So there's things they can talk about. How much they'll resonate or not, I don't know. I think it's more going to be, um, I know every election is said is about a 
uh, about the future, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're really judging the past and saying, I'm happy with the last four years, so let's give them another uh, four years in office. I think there's a lot more uncertainty in this election, and I don't mean about only the economy by any stretch. There's uncertainty about, you know, some people say the climate uh, carbon tax is the way to go and, uh, and a more and more aggressive approach to a carbon reduction, and there's others saying, no, 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 this is going to blow the place up. So there's a lot of uncertainty about, um, it's not clear-cut, what is the path? I mean, to an envir- diehard environmentalist, they'll say that's nonsense, but there's large numbers of people who don't agree. I mean, and I don't mean that they don't agree with climate change. They don't agree with the path to respond to climate change. So there's a lot of uncertainty there. There's uncertainty over are the good times about to come to an end? Um, you know, yet people can acknowledge that the economy is very good, the numbers are very strong, but there's uncertainty about whether we're on the on, on the uh, tipping point, uh, on the edge of of a recession. So you know, there's uh, there's very great uncertainty, although it's not being talked about. I see it in the polling numbers all the time about immigration, and it's one of those things you know we don't like to talk about because people think that if you raise any kind of uh, debate or discussion about immigration. You know, you're opposed. I'm, I'm someone who's very strongly in support of immigration. But then the question is, do we want more refugee immigration or do we want more family immigration or do we want more economic migrants uh, with uh, job skills that the economy needs? There's uncertainty over that because some people believe in one category and others believe in another category. So I, I, I don't recall an election in recent times where there's been so much uh, uncertainty um, over, and I mean genuine uncertainty. I'm not talking about differences of opinion. You know, I think there's lots of liberals I know that they're strongly supporting the car- carbon tax proposals, and yet underneath, if you talk to them privately, they've got misgivings of, oh, boy, I really hope we're going down the right road sort of thing. Hmm. So that's what I mean by uncertainty. It's not, it's not black and white. It's not, you know, you can say, oh, this is just a no-brainer. This is the way we got to go. There are serious differences of opinion on quite a few of these very, very major issues. Ian Lee is joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, MBA Director at the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University. As we look at some of the, uh, the financial platforms, economic platforms of the federal parties, and, and let's look at the Green Party. It's approaching climate change economically. Right, right. And it pledges to shut down the fossil fuel industry, but is promising to transition those workers fairly, reintegrating them into the renewables sector. Now, I think when it comes to whether you're dealing with climate change or not, that's always the, the key point. You shut down the oil sands, but you, you, know, you leave that huge vacuum for all those workers. Does that address the issue uh, in dealing with the, the oil sands? I don't believe it does. No. Uh, I don't. And I certainly studied this. Believe me, I, t- I use this in my class all the time. And I'm a numbers-based person, so that means I'm pouring over the numbers from StatScan. These aren't theories. These are not opinions. They're not conjectures. There's about a million people employed directly and indirectly in natural resources. Now, natural resources is not only oil and gas. It's, uh, it's you know, all upstream stuff, mining and forestry and gold and, you know, mining gold, copper, molybdenum, and so forth. But my point is there's about a million people. Okay, there's 38 million Canadians. There's 18.5 million employed, according to StatsCan, right now in 2019. So a million people is still nonetheless, although it's by no means the majority, it's still a big chunk of people. That's the totality of the population of the fourth or fifth largest city in Canada called Ottawa, where we live. Okay, I don't mean everyone's working in Ottawa. That's the total population of Ottawa, including children and seniors. So that's a lot of people. 
And, and they're talking about literally throwing them out of work. Because if you shut down the fossil fuel industry, you are throwing them out of work. Now, and I think it's a glib response, is, oh, no problem, we'll just you know, recycle them over here, um, as if it's just a, uh, you know, an exercise of punching a bunch of buttons on your computer. And uh, economies are vastly more complex and vastly more uh, uh, sophisticated than that. And um, if it was that easy, we would have been doing it um, for the last hundred years, you know, just punch this button, punch that button, and move these several hundred thousand people from here over there. And it's not that easy. And we're not a centrally planned economy. And, of course, the centrally planned economies were even worse. They were far worse. <laughs> they actually went bankrupt and closed down because they couldn't uh, make these uh, transitions and move people from one sector to another. The The thing about the Green Party is not the objectives. I mean, I'm not saying they're bad because they're promoting the environment so strongly. It's the aggressiveness of their policies. They're going to do all this in 10 years. And I don't, but when you look at the numbers, I mean, use housing stock, which is 25% of all the emissions, okay? Uh, 14 million homes in Canada, that's stats can data, and about another 5 million uh, uh, buildings, schools, hospitals, university buildings, high-rise buildings, government buildings, corporation buildings, plants, etc. The To retrofit that many uh, buildings in 10 years, I believe, is impossible, physically impossible because we don't have enough people and we don't have enough resources. It can be done. I'm not saying it cannot be done. Ed. Let's mm-hmm. be clear. So someone says I'm denying that we can do anything. Chris Reagan, who is a very strong environmentalist, the chair of Ecofiscal Commission, was on CBC Power and Politics only last week. And he said this is going to be a transition that takes place over the next 50 or 60 or 70 years so even he, and he's a very pro-carbon tax guy, and a very pro-we've-got-to-change-everything person, and he's saying, no, 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 it's not going to happen in 10 years. And and so I think that that's the problem with the Green Party uh, trans, uh, uh, proposals is that they're uber-aggressive, hyper-aggressive, extremely aggressive, impossibly aggressive. And uh, if someone says, well, you know, they're aspirational, okay, fine, I have no problem with that. But I think that there's she's telling, and, and there's large numbers or significant numbers of people who really believe, you know, you just sort of, it's like flicking a light switch on the wall and presto, abracadabra, like magic, you've got light. And, you know, presto, we just flick a switch and there you go. And everybody's, you know, heating their homes with electricity. And uh, I've done renovations in my house for 30 years, serially. For 30 years, I've owned my house. And I'm telling you, I know how complex it is and how difficult and how expensive it is, including ripping out the walls one by one, as I've done, to get down to the studs, to spray foam it, to fill it up with insulation, to get my heating bills down, which I've done. But it took me, you know, they're talking about retrofitting to go carbon neutral. It took me five years and probably $50,000. And I'm not talking the furnaces or the windows. I'm just talking ripping out the walls one by one in each and every room in my house. Unbelievably tedious and unbelievably expensive uh, process. And that's just one house, one house Mm -hmm. in Canada. All right, let's look at the New Democrats. They say they'll create 300,000 good jobs in in their first mandate, uh, addressing climate crisis while making life better for all Canadians. Now, does this pledge sound much more, much different than the Green Party's? 
I don't. I think they're both fighting out for the uh, fighting it out for the um, a similar group of people, people that are very socially progressive and very environmentally progressive, and uh, and and the from all the evidence that we've seen so far, the Greens are taking uh, votes from the NDP, and so I think they're fighting it out for the same space, uh, philosophical, ideological space in Canada. Nothing wrong with that. It's called good old-fashioned competition, but I think that's why we see similarities. I didn't say a identities or, or identical policies, but there's similarities between the Greens and the, um, uh, and the NDP. They're both, both of these parties' proposals are much more aggressive, much, much more radical or aggra- and aggressive than are the uh, liberal or uh, conservative policies. Now, the NDP is also talking about a $15 federal minimum wage. I, I wouldn't expect that to impact, impact many, considering most civil servants are, are making more than that. Uh, I agree with you because if you look at the numbers, and I have, I wrote, wrote an op-ed on the minimum wage. Minimum wage is overwhelmingly in retail, and retail is not regulated by government, federal government. In fact, the only, I say only, uh, industries that come under uh, federal jurisdiction are federally regulated corporations, banking, uh, telecom, and uh, natural resource companies. And those three industries I just named tend to be very high-wage industries. They are not minimum wage industries. They're not, you know, these are not hamburger flippers in telecom. And I don't say that to put down hamburger flipping. I work part-time as a student, you know, in minimum wage jobs in retail and restaurants and that sort of thing. But all of those restaurant jobs and fast food jobs and minimum wage jobs, you know, working in retail stores, whether it's Home Depot or Canadian Tire or Loblaws or Metro or Sobeys, that's all under provincial jurisdiction. So, yeah, I, I don't have the, at my fingertips the number of people actually under federal jurisdiction that are at minimum wage, but I'll bet you it's less than 1%. Ian Lee Literally, it's that tiny. <laughs> Ian Lee joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, MBA Director of Sprott School of Business at Carleton as we talk about uh, the federal election platforms looking at jobs and the economy. And it appears the focus of the conservative jobs and economy platform is, well, basically canceling the carbon tax to be replaced with incentives for companies to fall in line and reduce their emissions. Uh, I, I, from my perspective, they would have done that already, would they not? No, uh, because um, I'm not saying that they haven't done any. Of course they have. But I meant when I said no, if we're going to reduce yet more emissions, then everybody has to do a lot more. So future reductions in emissions can still be taken. Um, and what he's proposing, I mean, it's, it's almost an inverse of the, the traditional positions of these two parties, uh, because the Conservative uh, Party has historically advocated market-based solutions, um, and the Liberals have been tended more towards government-based solutions. And they're flipping on this, where the liberals are very strongly supporting a carbon tax, which is widely considered to be a market-based response. And what the conservatives are advocating is essentially what people like me like to call command and control in a centrally planned economy like China, Russia, and I'm not trying to draw any parallels at all to the conservatives. I'm just saying, you know, resources, books have been written on this. PhD theses have been written on this, believe me. Uh, Societies can allocate things using on a decentralized basis through market forces, you know, profit-based companies, supply and demand and all that stuff, or you can do it uh, through uh, command and control where the government does it. We actually have a mixed economy, Ed. I mean, well, look, uh, 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 hospitals are command and control. 
they're not market-based. I don't pay a price when I go to the hospital. It's not like buying groceries at Loblaws. So we have a society, uh, uh, so does the state, so does Europe, where we've got both a mix. We've got both command and control. The military system is command and control. You're, the, you're, you're ordered to go to Afghanistan. You don't say, well, wait a minute, give me a price incentive and I'll, I'll think about going, and we'll negotiate it. You don't do that in the military. That's command and control. Uh, the courts are command and control. So, you know, when people sneer at his proposals, command and control is a legitimate solution. I'm not saying it's the most effective or efficient uh, solution, but it also works. I mean, we did the Second World War with command and control. We didn't offer, say, to people, you know, we'd like to give you a little bit more money to encourage you. I mean, we finally went to conscription. That's command and control. The government's commanding you to do something. And so what the conservatives are saying is rather than use market-based forces, we're, we're going to go the, the command and control route. And ironically, and I guess I'm revealing my cards now, as the, and I am a great capitalist. I am a huge capitalist. But I'm slowly coming to the conclusion after looking at the huge blowback around the world towards carbon-based pricing, which is market-based pricing. It really hits people um, uh, hard uh, for things they need, like driving their car. And I've come to this bizarre conclusion as a red meat capitalist that command and control might be the way to go because it distributes the benefits to er the, the, the cost, excuse me, to everybody. I order, I, the government, order you to reduce your emissions. And if you don't like it, too bad. And there's no debate. There's no market price about it. There's nothing about avoiding. We are ordering you. We're ordering. Look, when we retro uh, announce an increase in efficiency standards for appliances or mileage for cars, that's command and control. Mm -hmm. We're not asking you. Do you think you might like to? We're ordering the car companies. You must increase the mileage. That's command and control. Or when we increase the standards for the uh, retro uh, to retrofit buildings, where we're saying the the buildings must go from R10 in the walls to R30 or, or something like that. That's command and control. So he's arguing using only command and control, and the liberals are arguing essentially a mix, because they're also arguing for command and control with the retrofitting of standard, standard increases in retrofitting of buildings, mileage efficiency increases, and so forth. And, uh, and that's really the fundamental difference. And by the way, I don't think there's a huge difference between the liberals and the conservatives, even though it looks like there is, and they're both arguing arguing there's a huge difference, they're a lot closer to each other than they are to the Greens or the NDP. And then looking at the Liberals in terms of jobs in the economy, it looks like obviously the carbon tax is a central part of the platform, but uh, also mentioning reducing the deficit below $10 billion. And is it me, or are we not hearing enough about the deficit and reining it in during this campaign? <laughs> I don't think we are because, in fact, let me make it even more explicit. Uh, I've heard uh, some gargantuan promises in this uh, campaign. Okay, let's set, out, set aside the NDP and the Greens. They're not going to get into power. Um, and, but even with the Conservatives and the, and the Liberals, I've heard an awful lot of very, very big ticket um, promises. And I'm just sitting there gobsmacked, to be honest. You know, we're, if, if we really are going to adopt full pharmacare, as the Liberals seem to indicate or suggest, I mean, that's $25 billion. Who said? The PBO said so. Kevin Page is on the record saying that's the equivalent of a two percentage point increase in the GSTHST. And, and so I'm saying all these multi-billion dollar commitments, 
who and is going, someone's got to pay, either that or we're going to run up gargantuan deficits like the bad old days, or we're talking gargantuan tax increases. So something's got to give. Either we don't go with huge uh, expensive programs like fully, uh, fully universal um, uh, pharmacare, or we're going to run whacking big deficits, or we're going to see some whacking big tax increases. And uh, I'm, not, I'm not enthusiastic about any one of those options, to be quite frank. Um, it doesn't seem a moderation in this campaign on the campaign promises side but of the, with the two major parties has seemed to have, seems to have gone out the window. And someone's got to bring them back to, to reality and uh, say, okay, people, we want you to talk about all these campaign promises in relation to the deficit. How, what's it going to do to the deficit? And how are you going to address these enormous campaign promises that are in the billions and billions of dollars? Promising a, a you know, $10 million promise here and there, I don't care about that because it's a rounding error with the government account because it spends $350 billion a year, which is one-third of a trillion dollars. But when you start getting into multi-billion dollar programs, then you're getting into, as the famous phrase says, that's real money. That's really serious money. And, and how are we going to address that in relation to the deficit? Interesting point. So I want to thank you for joining us, Ian. My pleasure. Uh, thanks very much. And I want to thank Ian Lee, MBA Director of the Sprott School of Business, for his thoughts on the federal election jobs and economy platform. Now, a small business is the engine of the economy. We hear that. But for many, the economy is not firing on all cylinders. And to get some perspective on what its members are looking for, I am pleased to be joined by Dan Kelly, President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. And thanks for joining us on the cafe, Dan. Happy to be here. Now, when you spoke to your members, less than 20% think the government's done a good job developing policies to support the middle class. What are your members looking for out of this next election? Well, a few things. One is that the uh, the tax side of the equation has been hit pretty hard over the last few years, and they're looking for some relief. Uh, remember, of course, there was a giant fight with the federal government over uh, some tax changes for small businesses in 2017. The memory of that has not gone away. A lot of business owners remain pretty frustrated with, with some of the, uh, the, the pieces that weren't removed in the 11th hour. Uh, there were changes to the way that dividends are taxed for families. Also, the, uh, the way that passive investment income is taxed. So they'd love some relief from that. Also, of course, Canada pension plan premiums are, are going up for the next six years. There was already a hike this year. We've got, uh, on top of that, in five provinces, including Ontario, carbon taxation. Uh, the federal carbon tax is actually heavily, heavily paid by independent businesses with exemptions for large firms and, of course, rebates for consumers. Uh, the cost picked up by small firms. So, you know, I, I think one of the big things we're hearing from our members is relief from some of the heavy tax burden that they've been facing over the last few years, the increasing tax burden, plus uh, a lightening of some of the regulatory load, which uh, continues to be high. Let's let's follow up on on the carbon tax there for for a minute, and and you talk about small businesses will end up carrying the brunt of uh, of the of the costs uh, as uh, obviously citizens will be getting uh, rebates, and you say big businesses get get uh, get it as well. How, how do you see small business carrying the weight here? We did some research that showed that almost 50% of the total cost of the carbon tax, and we're, again, that's billions of dollars rising over the next four years, uh, will be borne by independently owned small and medium-sized companies together with some municipalities, hospitals, school divisions. 
Um, the federal government designed this such that, you know, and the, the ads were that, uh, don't worry, consumers, you're going to get a rebate check that is larger than the amount that you're actually going to pay in the new carbon tax. Um, large firms, large, the largest emitters in Canada have, of course, carved out emissions exemptions of about 80% of what they pollute. Uh, so the cost is going to be heavily borne by small firms. Of the rebate stream, only 7% is dedicated to small and medium-sized companies, and, and it took months and months to even get any details of how they were going to go about that. Uh, so, you know, look, small firms are on board to do things to try to reduce their environmental uh, footprint, uh, but it doesn't seem fair that if, if we're all in this together to fight the, the, the issue of climate change, that you would be passing checks out to consumers on the even of an election and then passing the bill to small businesses, many of whom are already struggling. Then when you look at large firms that uh, have the exemptions, it doesn't appear that they're carrying their weight at all. There are other measures for some of the larger firms, to be fair, but, but yeah, I mean, on the carbon tax itself, it is, you know, about 80% of the, of the uh, pollution from the largest emitters in the country is exempt from the carbon tax. And thus, at some point, you wonder, how is this thing cooked up? It, it truly doesn't seem fair to, to independently owned and operated businesses. And again, on top of that, we've got CPP premium increases. We have the, uh, the 2017 tax changes going into effect. There was a bunch of labor code changes. So there's been a lot. Now, uh, to be fair to the federal liberals, they've, they've done a few things, I think, quite well. They've been pretty pretty positive, I think, for overall on the trade side. They, they got NAFTA largely across the finish line. Uh, there were some pretty significant capital cost allowance changes for, for manufacturers and those that have kept a heavy capital investments planned. There is some relief for them. Uh, so those, there are, you know, it's balanced with some good news. Uh, on credit card processing fees also, the Liberals have made some promises that uh, that we quite like. In fact, they quoted my organization uh, by surprise in, in their uh, in their announcements. So it's it's not all bad, but but i got to tell you, there is a degree of frustration that still exists with, with many in the small business community. Dan Kelly joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, president of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business. As we look at what small business is looking for in terms of the economy in this upcoming federal election. Now, your members want a more competitive tax environment, and what would make it more competitive? Well, for, for one thing, rolling back some of those 2017 tax changes would, would really help them an awful lot. Uh, you know, they're, they're, if, if you have a spouse working in your business uh, or even owning the business with you, now there's a huge paper chase to try to prove their contributions. We'd like to have a full spousal exemption so you can share income uh, with your spouse in a limited fashion. We'd also like the federal government to ditch the, uh, the the passive investment changes that they made that really do, I think, make it harder for businesses to save for their own retirement or to invest in the firm in the future. Uh, the Conservatives actually have made some commitments on that front that we quite like. Another item that we've been asking for for years has been to see uh, uh, to allow business owners to sell their businesses to their kids, to family members, at the same tax treatment as if they sell it to a stranger crazy. I think most people don't know that if you sell it to a stranger, you as a business owner are much better off than you sell if you sell your business to your kids. Um, and, and we want to change to that policy. We've been lobbying for that for years. And the NDP was the first party that put that forward as a proposal. So we're, we're actually pleased to see small business uh, featured in, in the platforms of the Tories, the Liberals, and the NDP uh, in, in some ways. There's lots of those platforms we don't like, uh, but there has been some progress made already. Dan Kelly, uh, 
joining us from the on the unpublished cafe with the CFIB. And and to tell you the truth, I was not expecting to you say something positive about the the NDP, but. You, you've well, said look, some, we we are nonpartisan. Yeah. We're a nonpartisan organization. We uh, we fight the good fight on policies we disagree with, and we'll certainly be there to complement good policy when we see it. Uh, actually, uh, there's there's several in the NDP. The NDP was the first party during the last election that proposed reducing the small business corporate tax rate to nine percent. Then the Tories followed by legislating it while they were still in power. Uh, then the Liberals and the Green Party, to be fair, they all endorsed that policy prior to the 2015 election. Of course, after the 2015 election, the Liberals decided, oh, forget it, we're not going to lower the tax rate to 9%. We, they scrapped that in their very first budget. And then after the 2017 uh, tax fight, they brought it back and, and taped the promise back together, delivered on it uh, just uh, just earlier this year. Uh, so, look, all, all, all parties uh, obviously have an agenda for small business. We're pleased to see that. Uh, there's lots in a lot of the platforms, though, that I think would set us back. And we're watching those things very, very closely, sharing the full answers uh, on our website, CFIB.ca, uh, for small business owners to see what the party leaders are saying specific to small business, what's going to help them, what's going to harm them. And then, of course, allowing business owners to make up their own decisions as to which way they wish to vote. Well, one of the key concerns of, uh, of your members, uh, small business owners, is uh, the current debt and deficit of the federal government. And you know, small business owners know all about debt and deficit and having to keep that under control is, is, you know, they'd like to see the government act a little bit more like a small business. Absolutely. Look, small business owners know that today's deficits are tomorrow's tax, uh, tax hikes. You know, the, the bills come due and we've seen this happen right now in Ontario. One of the reasons why there is so much budget pressure is that the government is actually trying to clean up a giant deficit mess left to them by the by the previous government? We can't do this forever. Yeah, sure. There's you know the the world's not going to come to an end if you run a deficit once in a while, and and we've got to make sure that of course we're prepared for recessions when government spending sometimes is necessary uh, as a stopgap to a decline in the private sector. But you can't forever run deficits, and I I think that that unfortunately Canadians have become a little more comfortable with governments running long-term deficits, small business owners have learned the hard way uh, how difficult that is. And, and I, I'm worried that the electorate is forgetting about that. We need to make sure that political parties are, are focused on, on bringing down the deficit. It's very, very easy to make election promises. Look, if I, you know, I've got an 11-year-old son, I can be Santa Claus for a while, uh, you know, and, and spend money on all the things that he wishes to have, but if the end of it were risking losing the house, uh, you know that's not a good long-term strategy, too. That's a that's a great analogy, Dan. Uh, I want to thank you for joining us uh, on the Unpublished Cafe. I really appreciate your insight. Anytime at all. And I want to thank Dan Kelly, President of the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, for joining us on the cafe. Now it's time to hear from you. Which party's economic platform makes the most sense to you? The Liberals, Conservative, NDP. Or the Green Party. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your say. I want to thank Ian Lee, the MBA director of the Sprott School of Business at Carleton University, for joining us, and Dan Kelly, president of the CFIB. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand.